Greetings, podcast listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode of All Things Thor. In this episode, Tom will continue telling us the tale of how he wound up at Walt Disney Imagineering, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. So sit back, get comfortable, and get ready for part two of our continuing saga of Thor and Imagineering. So, part of my um, just sharing my ongoing experiences as being a Disney Imagineer, for those who have any interest at all in it, um, last episode, as they used to say, we left off um, kind of with the, my initial uh, experiences joining the company and leaving Universal Studios. Um, I left out one, th- one thing, though, that I think uh, is important for those of you that um, are ha- have or are aspiring uh, to be part of, uh, you know, part, to be an Imagineer. And that is that... Uh, it took me about two years of applying to be an Imagineer with all the best I had, the best images I could find, you know, uh, all my experiences, my resume, everything, applying. And the application, when you applied, I'm not sure if it's the same now, but it was quite impressive. Um, you got this uh, envelope, and when you open the envelope, what would fall out, as I recall, it was like folded up into at least three pieces. And at the very top of this application was a big pick, was a yeah, a big picture of Mickey Mouse um, with the sorcerer's hat. And uh, it said Walt Disney Imagineering on it. And uh, it was, you know, you're, you're like going, oh my God, you know, uh, I hope oh, I can be, become part of this. And uh, you, you had a bunch of questions to fill out and uh, things. I don't remember all the different questions. I mean, some of them were kind of, you know, typical resume uh, questions or whatever. You know, what is your experience? Why do you want to be an Imagineer? All this kind of stuff. And I, I always took the time to be very... Uh, verbose and eloquent in filling these applications out. But um, I'd, I'd send these off and I'd hear nothing. I heard nothing. Uh, I think the third time I got a, me- I got a uh, message back of envelope back or, you know, 
got to remember this was a time when email wasn't prevalent in 1995. Uh, so there was a lot of snail mail, you know, interaction. But I got a, uh, a response back that said uh, something to the effect of uh, thank you for your application. Um, we'll keep you in mind. Blah, blah, blah. You know. The, the all the stuff that is uh, you know you don't want to hear <laughs> but um, you know because you want to hear that they they're like saying yeah we want we want you we, you know call call this number and uh, let's set up a meeting but it didn't happen the first few years. And I couldn't understand why, because I sent the best of the best of what I could do. And I really thought I was qualified to be an Imagineer. And it wouldn't be till years later uh, that I actually was an Imagineer that I realized. Uh, and I won't get into the... Uh, again, I try not to name names unless I'm naming names that I want to celebrate. But the person that was reviewing all of these um, applications uh, <laughs> admitted to me that uh, when I was there, uh, they looked back on the files of all my applications and, and many of them had never been read at all. Or they had been uh, read but um, just filed away. You know, and, and the person that reviewed these applications was not, in my opinion, qualified to recognize talent um, enough to to uh, get me in the door. So my my eloquent attempts at convincing them that I was an Imagineer and should be working there were simply put into a file somewhere. And uh, nothing ever happened. So I say this because some of you who may want to be getting involved in this industry, uh, that this often happens. And it's happened with other companies I've, I've worked for. That that the first person that takes on resumes and, and looks at your applications and everything or screens your capabilities or whatever. Again, in my opinion, is not qualified to really uh, decide uh, or recognize th that you are a very valid potential contribution to their um, establishment. Uh, you know, some of the people I've discovered that review those uh, portfolios or the or the uh, creative uh, um, applications, you know, came. They worked for Xerox. 
before and then then now they're working for a company they were hired to be um the you know creative uh assessment managers or whatever you want to call them so they don't know i mean they're the the mo the i think that the closest that they can um do is if there's a project that's pending that they're aware of, like if it has to do with, uh, let's say, uh, um, let's say they're working on a project that has to do with uh, birds, you know, um, if 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 they look at a portfolio that you've submitted and images and stuff, and you have a bunch of birds in your uh, portfolio then that that's their um, trigger to say, oh, hey, this person's qualified to work for a company. And I'm going to notify the art directors and the, uh, um, you know, the creative leads that this person is probably great for our company. And they're not looking, they're not capable of looking or qualified to looking at the overall potential that you have, even if you don't have birds in your portfolio, um, of how you could, um, you know, really, truly, honestly, uh, be an asset to their company. So I think the message in, in this is don't take it personally, um, that there's a bunch of different things that happen uh, and uh, there's screens you have to uh, get through filters that you might not make it through but it has nothing to do with your talent it has nothing to do with your capabilities it has to do with people people that are assigned to positions that in my opinion and my experience have no business at all being placed in those uh, decision-making processes anyway so you know, when I finally made it into Imagineering, it wasn't because I went through the regular process. It wasn't because I applied to be an Imagineer and was instantly recognized. It was because... I, You know, honestly, I don't remember who it was. There was another Imagineer there that said, have you ever heard of this guy that they were aware of? Uh, that that person was aware of and uh, somehow told me told them uh, about me and what I was doing and what I was capable of doing and it was the in or the trigger that allowed me to go past that resume uh, process of, of that person that just generally looked at things and decided whether or not you're worthy of being part of the company. And uh, it, it allowed me to have my interview. 
and present my portfolio and all the things I just talked about in the last episode. And um, other than that, you know, I don't know that I ever would have been able, been able to get to penetrate that that uh, system. So anyway, um, my first experiences, other than the ones I've already shared about, you know, all the stuff about the status of the company at the time and everything, and there was layoffs and everything, and my coming on board as a new guy was not always welcome because there was a lot of people being laid off and everything. Um... Uh, you know, I uh, uh, I have to go back to one of the first trips. They had research trips, a lot of research trips. I mean, and for Journey to the Center of the Earth, which I was primarily assigned to, among other things, um, Disney was really good at having you go and have experiences that... Um, allowed you to design things that were, uh, you know, um, that um, were reflective of uh, real data and real information and real research. And so I was dealing with an attraction that was a fantasy, yet it had to do with delving deep down into... Um, the ground and into caves and into you know quote unquote the center of the earth so they sent me and uh, the first few people who were assigned also to my project which was a project manager project manager basically just makes sure that you're not going ape shit with your ideas they watch your uh they're aware of the budget you know and all that kind of stuff and they try to you know put a sensible um sort of uh uh you know balance into the whole creative process there was um what's called a show producer and a show producer was somewhere in between a project manager and somebody who kind of understood the creative process. But they were overall responsible for both, you know. So, But other than that, um, there was me in those positions. And um, I was on my way. And they suggested different research um, trips that I could take so that I could better uh, represent the attraction that I was about, that I was designing. So the first one, the first trip, which was really fun, was to go to every cave that you could possibly go to that um you know was commercially available um i went to um 
all these caves uh, that that were around there. Um, now I'm forgetting all the names, but uh, you know, we we delved down into these special, um, uh, you know, uh, sort of, uh, uh, Disney would arrange it. So, you know, we got special treatment. We were able to go down into, uh, you know, all these different places. Um, all the, all the play, all the caves in the U S you know, that, um, Carlsbad Caverns and all those things um, that were available. And, uh, I, you know, it was a trip. I mean, um, I was going down, in some cases, a mile down below the surface. And I'd see, I, I would be able to see uh, stalagmites and stalactites and all these weird formations and stuff that were lit up by the one ranger that we were assigned to that would take us down. We even saw things like, um, I guess you could call it, um, you know, uh, 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 things that were scrolled on the walls of caves a uh, hundred years ago by... Uh, the few explorers um, that had ever been down there. Um, you could call it ancient graffiti, I guess. Um, and it was amazing. You know, they would, they, they would scrape on the uh, side of a stalagmite. Stalagmite is, is one of those pointed things that goes from the f ground reaching above that tapers off like a cone a stalactite is one that is coming from the ceiling that looks like a drippy you know pointed thing and uh then there was all these other formations and um uh, we spent a lot of time literally uh, deep down under um the earth and um it, it, I took all kinds of pictures and uh, noted different things because even though my attraction was a fantasy, I wanted to have some sort of believability as well. And I took this very seriously. And I was afraid of nothing. I went down as deep as I could. I crawled through spaces that were barely... Um, large enough for me to squeeze my body through so I could get into a big open cavern um, that was attached to it. And uh, it was an incredible experience. I was very thankful that the company funded this and supported this because, you know, I was coming up with this whole attraction on my own and all these research trips were extremely uh, helpful. I mean, and I mean, they they allowed me to um, experience things that I felt I could translate into 
to uh, a fantasy that had um, substance and actual scientific basis uh, on, you know, on as the platform. So anyway, um, after this and after about a thousand photos, and you can see this online, um, there's a number of Disney fan sites that uh, asked me to participate in the uh, the whole process of uh, how I developed um, Journey to Center of the Earth from the ground up, uh, no pun intended. Um, and uh, you can see them online if you uh, look for. Uh, um, some of the some of these things you'll you'll find them um, and uh, uh, I mean the it'll show you photos of some of these uh, different experiences um, as I was going through these caves spelunking as they call it taking lots and lots of photographs. Uh, anyway, so that was the first part of the experience when I was assigned to this attraction after I had been in, inducted to be a Disney Imagineer. And at this point, the team I loved, like I said, incredible talent. And, and I probably will name some of them because I think their names deserve to be said because they were responsible for um, what I feel are some of the greatest Disney attractions you will ever experience. And I know some, all of us, most of us here that are listening to this are in the United States. Some of you might not be. But... If you go to Japan and see this project, I mean, it was, it was a game changer. It was, it, it raised the entire bar, believe it or not, on anything that was ever created by the Disney company. And again, the team was unbelievably talented. It was just phenomenal. And, uh, was very proud to be part of it. So after this, I'm going to tell you about the next experience I had, which was when we started to get into my ride. Um, I knew the ride had to be inside of a giant volcano that was huge. It was over 100 feet tall. I have to look and re recall how tall the damn thing was, but um, it, and it was really well done. The rock work guys on these on this thing, Russ and all the guys that were involved in the rock work, just did a phenomenal job in recreating what really a volcano would look like. And they they were so. Um, educated 
and and they would talk to me about what what, what you know here would be basalt uh here would be lava flow here would be you know, I mean, they knew exactly what would really happen, and they knew how to recreate it in um, in cement and other techniques that were incredible. I was just blown away by their abilities. And so, um, anyway, in the next episode, I'll tell you a little bit about what I had to experience when they finally figured out the engineers because we always work together. The engineers had a ride layout figured out, okay? So they had the track figured out how it would squeeze into a conical volcano. Um, and um, presented it to me. I mean, you got to remember, this is not easy stuff. Because there's columns and there's rebar and cement and everything that has to go into this. So you don't just, you know, lay out a ride track however you feel like it. There's all these um, engineering issues that have to be taken into account. And so for me as a designer, you know, you have to respect that. So if I see that there is a um, a big um, iron column that drops right in the middle of an area I once thought was going to be a scene in my ride that was unaffected, I have to figure out how to make that look like it was intentional, like there's a rock form or, or something that people don't notice uh, is part of the uh, engineering structure of this. And, uh, and so the next episode, I'm going to share a funny experience. <laughs> when they asked me the question, okay, so at the end of the ride, you're saying that we get shot out of the top of the volcano, right? I said, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you showed me that we could do that. Um, and that it could feel like we're experiencing almost zero gravity when we get shot out the top. And you'll kind of feel like you're, you're being shot out of the volcano at the end. And they said, okay, yeah, okay, you know. The engineers were like, we can, we can, we can kind of do that. But how long do you want people to feel like they're in zero gravity? How long do you want them to feel like they're suspended in air? In your story, in your, you know, in your design. I mean, what would you, what would you say? I mean, I've never been in zero gravity or hadn't been. I didn't know what the hell to say. Yet I was in a, a meeting where they were looking at me for an answer to work out the engineering aspects of it. So in the nep the well, the next uh, episode, I'll tell you the whole experience I had and how I uh, came.
came up with an answer for that. And it's pretty fun. <laughs>